0: This is Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you drive long haul, short haul, or heavy haul, they're here to empower and inspire women in the trades on TNCRadio.live. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy.
1: Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in trucking, in the trades, and every profession. We tackle all kinds of topics and work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley.
2: And I'm Kathy.
1: No topic is not allowed on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics, and we like to feature experts and celebrities who can assist women in being the very best they can be. Attention Deficit Disorder and Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder have been talked about for quite a while, but there's a lot of disinformation and confusion on the subjects. Women are often misdiagnosed when they have ADHD more than men. We wanted to clear up some of the confusion and learn more so we could help our women listeners. Dr. Jeanette Wasserstein is co-author of the book Adult Attention Deficit Disorder, Biological Mechanisms and Life Outcomes. Dr. Wasserstein is a neuropsychologist who is known for her clinical work synthesizing conventional therapies with an emerging understanding of brain functioning. She specializes in adults with neurodevelopmental disorders such as learning disabilities or attention deficit disorder. Dr. Wasserstein is currently director of the New York City-based CNS Support and on the faculty of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. Dr. Wasserstein founded the Graduate Neuropsychology Training Program at the New School for Social Research. Dr. Wasserstein is with us today, and we're looking forward to learning more about attention deficit disorder and how it impacts women. Dr. Wasserstein, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, there's so much confusion about attention deficit, and it can impact both children and adults. There's so many acronyms. There's uh, so much disinformation. What are the differences between attention deficit disorder and ADHD?
3: I love that question. It's really a historical accident. Initially, it was this entity was called hyperactivity. And uh, then the focus and the research went over to attention disorder. So it became attention deficit disorder and then the research noticed that you know many people historically had both they might have been hyperactive as kids and became inattentive as adults or, or the inverse or people had both or their children had both so they got collapsed into attention deficit diso- attention deficit hyperactivity disorder predominantly inattentive presentation predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation Or combined. So basically, that's a long-winded answer saying they're they're the same, and what we're looking at varies with the person
1: over time. So how does all of this manifest? What are the symptoms? Okay, the core symptoms um, are uh, hyperactivity,
3: impulsivity, and inattention. That's like the triad. Um, And then there are like 14, I believe it is, examples of those manifestations. Um, So you see people, they might be spacey, they might be slow, they might be looking out the window, they may like be off in the cloud in the days, um, or they may be, you know, they can't sit still, they make noise all the time, they do things impulsively um or both in mixes so i would describe the inattentive pit profile the hyperactive profile and the combined profile so there's different manifestations that's why it's adhd and then primary one or the other
1: okay so do people really know what causes this is it genetic or is it something that can maybe not happen in childhood but it can manifest in adulthood
3: that's a really complicated and the proverbial good question. Um, to the best of our knowledge, the vast majority of cases are genetic because the heritability of ADHD, meaning that if a parent has it, the likelihood either parent has it, the likelihood of one of the children have it is among the highest of all the mental health problems. I think it depends on the study. It can be as low as 0.7 and as high as 0.9. It just means that it's extremely heritable. Um, And when they've done genetic research, it's not just one gene. There's a, a number of genes, a multiplicity of genes that have been related to what is ultimately diagnosed as ADHD. And no one person has all of them. And there's probably different clusters. So that's the genetic cluster. In addition to the genetic, because when you have ADHD, you're talking about what's called a phenotypic presentation, like the way they look. Um, And there are criteria that one has to meet in order to be diagnosed with ADHD, the phenotype, the way it looks. And the vast majority of children and adults who meet those criteria have genetic determinants. So a mother might have it, a father might have it, a brother or sister might have it, a cousin might have it, uncles, aunts. It, you see it all through the family. Mm-hmm. That's the majority. Then there are people that have an ADHD phenotype. By that, I mean, is they meet the criteria and they look like they're one variation or another, but they don't probably the underlying mechanisms are different. There isn't the genetic family profile. These are people who might have had head injury or lead poisoning or any number of medical conditions that can affect um, similar brain regions. So it looks like ADD meets criteria for ADD, but strictly speaking, it's not what's called a neurodevelopmental disorder, meaning it's not something that shows up in childhood, early, usually, um, and it's more under the cluster of what we would call acquired ADD.
1: Okay. Why is it that more women than men are impacted by this?
3: I'm glad you raised that question. Actually, it's equal. Um, Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's equal, or to the best of our knowledge, it's equal. It used to be that we thought more men than women were impacted by it um like a ratio of 2 to 1 two guys for every gal um but more recently what's become clear is more women than men are missed um because the presentation of ADD in women is less less pronounced less obvious so it gets missed and women are more likely to have what are called comorbidities other mental health conditions women are more likely to have depression and anxiety men get it too let's be clear um but women are more likely to get it and where there is depression and anxiety the add that coexists or may even be causing the depression and anxiety is missed often so that's when we say women women more it's women are in the past and even now more likely to have their diagnosis missed um, and they get called anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, or borderline disorder, bipolar disorder, you know, something that focuses on um, the emotional part of it.
1: Interesting. Yes. It, it does seem to, that when it comes to diagnoses, women seem to get missed a lot in many areas of yeah. medicine. Yeah,
3: that that is a, that is a, a, there's so yeah, I'm just agreeing. There's so many things where the research doesn't even look. I mean, like they give you summary things, summary mm-hmm. scores, summary findings, and it doesn't even break it out by 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 sex. Oh um,
1: right, yeah. We
3: have different biologies and and the perspective. It just happens again and again. I mean, it. There are many. Are you're right. You're so right. There's so many areas in healthcare where we're. Even heart attacks, the presentation of women in heart attacks is very, the heart attack looks different and Mm -hmm. gets fixed.
1: Yep. I was thinking that. Well, I remember in biology class in what, seventh, eighth grade or something, um, looking at the textbooks and they didn't have both male and female. They just had this generic human body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. And it's it's usually the 70 kilogram, uh, 30 year old male that's the prototype.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) My uh, co-worker um, just says she just got diagnosed with ADHD and she's in her late 40s. And she said, she said, is that she said, I finally found some answers to why, how I've been living, you know, my whole life. And um, now I guess she's she's on some medication and she feels a whole lot better. Is that common? For people well, to late in life to figure that out, or well, you 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 just
3: you just asked a question that has like a multiplicity oh. of. And I love <laughs> it! I love it! I mean, thank you. It's a great question. I've actually done um a lot of research, and it's kind of there's not a lot of research in this area. Looking at the diagnosis of ADD, the incidence of the diagnosis of ADD, ADHD in women in the perimenopausal years and thereafter. And it looks like um, there's a sharp increase, a very sharp increase in in women being diagnosed in their forties and up when estrogen levels are falling down. And there's a lot of research that shows that estrogen is very important in supporting brain function. So um, unfortunately, it's sort of as if we're programmed As we get older, we can be challenged by doing many of the things that we used to find easy. And I'm not talking about athleticism, I'm talking about intellectual things and what's called executive functions, uh, organizing, planning, you know, executing things, getting things done. So that's women. And in those women, among those women who get diagnosed uh, later in life, um, some of them, I'm sure, Uh, and I don't know what percent of them, but some of them I'm sure are women who've had kind of like borderline ADD their whole life. And when the estrogen drops off, they are south of the border. They can no longer compensate. The problems are more pronounced. And in some cases it can be so severe that women think they're dementing prematurely.
0: Hmm.
3: So, um, but in addition to that, I wonder, and we have no answers on this yet, If there isn't a subset among these women who get diagnosed in their 40s who are not even borderline ADD, they were just regular, you know, regular people. Um, I mean, ADD is a regular people, too. But um, where you are on the continuum determines whether you're borderline or, or fully diagnosable. But there are some people among these women who weren't even borderline. They were just regular and with the drop off of estrogen, um, their thinking gets so effective that they actually meet diagnostic criteria. Hmm. Um, and then and then if, with re- returning back to your general question, which is, is it uncommon for people to be first diagnosed with ADD in adulthood or later in adulthood? That's another That's an area of controversy within the field. Um Many people say if you if you first get diagnosed in adulthood, it was just missed it was always there in childhood. You were able to compensate and the compensations just broke down. Other people argue that. Um, that people who are diagnosed later in adulthood. Have other problems that have not been appropriately recognized and addressed and. They're being diagnosed with ADD as a primary diagnosis, when in fact it's a secondary diagnosis related to some other condition. Traumatic brain injury is an example, head injury. Mm -hmm. Um, People might have had some sort of head injury later in life, and then they develop an ADD profile, and they get diagnosed with ADD. But they weren't ADD, they have just had head injury, and it looks like ADD. So mm. it's an area of controversy where there is such a thing as adult onset ADD. Given the strong genetic findings and literature, it's very unlikely that it's first manifesting, you know, in your 40s for any other reason. But in the subset where we're dealing with women and estrogen drop off, um, that may be a subset of what we call adult ADD, adult onset ADD. I'm making, I'm making a distinction between adult ADD versus adult onset ADD.
1: Okay. They're
0: different. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up.
1: Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry, our safety champions We're talking with Dr. Jeanette Wasserstein, a prominent faculty member from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. We're exploring attention deficit disorder and how it manifests in women. As she said, more women are often diagnosed with this condition in their 40s and later, when estrogen levels begin to drop. The worsening or onset of ADD at that time just adds to the difficulties women experience when they're having fluctuating hormones. So Dr. Wasserstein, how do women compensate for that uh, with a drop-off in estrogen? How do they take control?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, in in Again, there's very little science to guide us, but in, in our data, which was a survey of 3,000 women over 40, 80% of whom had been diagnosed with ADD, and of those 80%, probably 60% <laughs> of them had been diagnosed with ADD in their 40s and up. Anyway, among them, a substantial percentage had tried hormone replacement therapy. And among those who had tried hormone replacement therapy, by that I mean is getting estrogen artificially, about a third or half of them found it helpful. So that's one path which is um, worth considering. And in the long term may end up being the preferential path, although there's always a concern about increasing the risk of um, some forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. But there's been some research recently that says it doesn't increase the likelihood of breast cancer overall. There are a subset of women who are sensitive to estrogen and who do develop breast cancer. If they have breast cancer, that's estrogen sensitive. They should not go on, on estrogen. But I think for the majority, that is one thing that can be done. So early on, if you're kind of perimenopausal and you're getting symptoms that say, "What am I? Am I dementing or am I developing ADD?" It may be worth considering hormone replacement therapy, but you got to monitor for uh, for you know your your health and in the risk things. Um, there's also some research that suggests that hormone replacement can help prevent Alzheimer's. Because uh, women get more Alzheimer's than men. It's another one of those yeah. female, female areas. So it, it, there has been connection between Alzheimer's and estrogen drop-off as well. So that's one path is hormone replacement to try it. And it's not everybody that's going to be helped. And we haven't identified who's more likely to be helped. But on an individual basis, it's worth exploring if you can find a doctor who's comfortable doing it because it is kind of edge of things. Um And then the other path, the simplest path, is if you can find a doctor who will give you the diagnosis and is comfortable giving you stimulants, because treat it like ADD, it may be a variant, but it responds, the same brain systems are involved, it responds to stimulants, dexedrine, Adderall, Ritalin, all of those. So those are the the direct interventions that you can do, either hormonal or stimulants, um. Also, if there are psychological ways to intervene. You can come up with supports or using planners, using using your phone, the apps that help you track time and remind you of things. You have to write things down. Do not try to remember. If it's important, you write it down. If it's not in the list, it doesn't exist. And preferentially, you take things off the list Prioritize them and schedule them in whatever you're using to plan with. Um, Another path, psychological, not pharmacologic, is um, meditation, mindfulness. We don't know the mechanism, but mindfulness training exercises um, seem to be like exercise. Exercise for physical conditions helps everything. Mindfulness seems to help all psychological conditions. Um, So mindfulness. And then the good news for the people, the folks that we're listening to right now is I think driving long distances where you're focusing on the now, you're focusing on what you're experiencing, you're not thinking about ideally anything but what you're doing. That's a mindful process. So you may actually be inadvertently engaging in mindfulness when you do your job which is really cool <laughs> so yeah it's a good way to frame it
1: um in your mind so there's a benefit there
3: yeah i think so i mm-hmm. think so. i mean i'm not giving you science for that this is just mm-hmm. like i like to garden and i
2: think gardening oh, is very gardening is such therapy no it, oh, it really is in, it honestly it's my saving grace i yes. love gardening well there you mm-hmm. have Me it
3: yeah, well, there you have it. It's a mindfulness exercise.
2: So you can read books about
3: mindfulness or see YouTubes about mindfulness and they'll they'll make it sound more difficult than it actually is. It's about immersing yourself in the now, trying not to be judgmental and experiencing it, not thinking of other things, but rather focusing on the now. So mindfulness has been found to be very helpful in the management of ADD symptoms. So we have what's called cognitive supports, or some people like to call it CBT for ADD. Um, That's organizing, planning, using time management techniques, Um, and then mindfulness, and exercise is very good. Mm -hmm. And then just general healthy living is good.
1: Are you seeing more of an increase in ADHD with the Social media, the, the electronic devices everybody's hooked into—they're not being mindful at all. It's almost like the tempo of society has gotten so much faster. It doesn't seem like anyone's focused on the here and now.
3: Yeah, and they can't, and they can't uh, stay with anything for all that long because mm-hmm. yeah. it's like Instagram—it's always moving. Facebook—you're always scrolling. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a tempting to say that might be the case and who knows it might be the case but to my knowledge there there isn't any science that tells us unequivocally or even not so unequivocally that tells us that there's an increased incidence what there is it's been an increased incidence of the diagnosis of add with telemedicine um you know during the pandemic but i don't know what that means nobody really knows what that means either it could be people are a, more able to access doctors at a distance or um, the COVID made people more focused on what their inner life was like. I don't know, but that, that I can tell you there, there has been an increase in the diagnosis with telemedicine. What are you the symptoms? Oh,
2: oh go I'm ahead, sorry. Kathy. Go you ahead, mentioned Kathy. something earlier that's been really, um, I wanted to talk about is Ritalin. Now, decades ago I was a teacher's assistant and almost every other child in that school was on Ritalin. Now, is that, um, I find that parenting nowadays is not the same as when we grew up. And um, I find people are, or parents are so quick to automatically say, well, oh, their child is there, you know, they're hyperactive or they're this or they're that. But the, because there's, um, how would I put this, they're, they're, they were so, this, people are so distracted that they don't have the time that they used to have, you know, like kids go play outside or, or whatever. Um, so that the immediate fix is here, uh, my child has this, this, this symptoms, and this is that and put them on some medication. And But in reality, it's a much bigger, more social, personal problem at home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, are there a lot of mixed misdiagnosis based because people just don't are in too much of a rush to, you know, put a term, a label on it Um
3: well? Well, misdiagnosis goes in both directions. Um, there certainly are things like trauma, sleep deprivation, yeah. a bad family situation that can lead to children being distracted or hyperactive or impulsive or any of the other core symptoms of add that said that said there's what the science does show us is that there's more misdiagnosis missing of add than there is incorrect attribution of the diagnosis to kids where it doesn't belong so Mm -hmm. when they look at it um and even you know even your memory of like every other kid was on stimulants and diagnosed with add the actual number is much lower. I mean, I think it's about five to ten percent of kids are diagnosed. And of the five or ten percent of kids that are diagnosed, not all of them are medicated. Many parents don't want them medicated.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So if anything, the sign shows there's an underdiagnosis and an under medication at all stages in life. Um when you I mean if you 10%, if it is 10%, and I think it's closer to 10 than five, that's one in 10 kids. So yeah. as a teacher, you're going to feel like every other kid um, is being diagnosed and treated. But if in, if, but it's not really every other kid. It's like a couple kids in every class, and multiple classes have a couple kids. So, And also the ADD kids stand out more because they have most of them, not the spacey girls, But the hyperactive impulsive boys, they stand out. It used to be called a disruptive behavior disorder. Not anymore. Now it's under the neurodevelopmental disorders. But because the little boys who were, remember, it started off as hyperactive.
2: Yeah. Diagnostically.
3: Um, So it was an impulsive disruptive behavior disorder, which mainly was seen in what were called hyperactive impulsive boys. So, you know, boys will be boys. (laughs) Well, yeah. that's what. Well, that's part of what contributes to the uh, missing kids. Sure. It gets called "boys will be boys." Um, yeah, you know. So, like I said, the science shows that more often than not, it's missed, not, not, not inappropriately diagnosed. Um, and, like I said, your memory is because this the base rate is pretty high. In other words, there's there's a lot of ADD anyway. Ten percent, five to ten percent. So if you have, a, you know, you're going to notice those hyperactive yeah. more and they'll be in your mind, even though they might actually not be that many. And it's very sad when when it gets missed. And it's mm. also very sad when a kid gets called ADD, when in fact they're traumatized at home. They're yeah, one of their parents is alcoholic and beating up the other. Who knows? I sexual mean, abuse, right? That's a Sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. right. So so um, you need to have the kid diagnosed by a mental health professional, optimally, who's experienced in diagnosing ADD and able to rule in and rule out these competing explanations. And it's even more that so the case with adults because many adult mental health professionals don't have that much experience in the diagnosis of ADHD in adults. It's gotten better. But, it, uh, but still, they miss it or they see only the depression and the anxiety and they don't see the, the coexisting condition or the condition that's causing the depression
1: the anxiety. So what are the symptoms of ADHD, ADD? How does someone know, especially if they're a woman, that they may have some of these symptoms and need to look into it?
3: Well, I think the thing in, in adults... The most common symptoms are poor time management, poor planning, um, problems with relationships, poor emotional regulation. And then, in addition, they can't do detail work unless they're extremely interested in it. They can't focus on things for a long time. Often associated with this is uh, work problems um, and uh, relationship problems. I'm remembering um, I had a tax lawyer patient and he came to me because he was a tax lawyer, but his own taxes he hadn't done in like five or ten years. Oh my. Yeah, so uh, so that I mean that's a manifestation of in adults, the most likely manifestation is executive dysfunction, difficulty, doing the things that are required to execute, to do. So problems with shifting, with planning, with impulse control, with monitoring, with organizing, with time awareness, biggie. Time awareness is a biggie. Um, So executive function problems are are big manifestation, raise a question. If you really dis, and if it's gotten worse with uh,
1: perimenopause, I would definitely think about it. Can there be mood swings or depression or anger? Yes,
3: yes, 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 yes. yes. That's the affect dysregulation. And that's why people with ADD, especially women, who seem to be more prone to the mood swings uh, and depression, may be related to hormones or probably related to hormone fluctuations. In women's cases, more often they'll get diagnosed with depression or anxiety disorder or some variant, and the ADD gets missed.
1: Can a woman develop this after she's had a baby? Because there are a lot of hormone changes with that.
3: Yeah. Um, there are a lot of hormone changes, a lot of hormone changes. There, There's something called postpartum depression, which I think everybody out there knows. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's, again, science to guide that answer. You know, off the top of my head, it makes sense to me that the radical drop-off of estrogen after you deliver a baby would lead to concentration and memory problems. Is there solid science to support that? There may be, but I, I don't know of it. it. It's not a well-known observation, but it anecdotally it sure is.
1: Now, in terms of ADD, ADHD in men, they don't have a lot of estrogen. They have some. Uh, what hormone plays a role in that with men?
3: That's a good question. Um, and I have to plead um, some ignorance on that one because I've been focusing on women and estrogen. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, there, there is some thinking, I mean, hormones are hormones. Sex hormones are all, um, I forget the name of the category, but there, there is some thinking that, that testosterone fluctuation and andropause, which is when testosterone drops off, may be may contribute to something similar in men but not as clear because uh, the drop off is, is not as severe and the role of testosterone in supporting cognitive functioning is less significant so long answer to your question is probably okay
0: stay tuned for more of women road warriors coming up Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro.
1: Our topic today is attention deficit disorder in women. The signs, the symptoms, and the treatment options. ADD is often missed in women, and estrogen may play a significant role in a diagnosis later in life as that hormone drops off. We're speaking with Dr. Jeanette Wasserstein, a prominent faculty member of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. She's an expert on ADD in women. Dr. Wasserstein, it seems like estrogen has a stranglehold on women, doesn't it?
3: I was going to say the short answer to my to your to your question is probably A, a stranglehold on women. What do you mean?
1: Well, it it seems like um, when we're children, we don't have these issues, but we go into pubescence and all of a sudden it's hormones and it's fluctuating every 30 days. And estrogen plays a lot of the issues with inconsistency and emotional upheavals. Uh, It it seems like we're kind of under estrogen's control. And then when it drops off, then we have more issues. It kind of stinks. It's unfair. It is. (laughs) It really is. It, it's
3: I, I, I mean, one one of the positive things is if we have a stroke, we're more likely to recover <laughs> with functions, and our brain organization is what's called more diffuse. So we, we have more compensatory pathways in our brain because we have a lot of built-in. Um, again, your audience, uh, truck drivers, we have a lot of built-in detours that we can access more easily than men uh, mm-hmm. in our brain. So, yeah, it sucks, though.
1: It I mean, really does. and yeah, it does. And, of course, we have a lot of women who work in offices who listen to us, too. But, yeah, women definitely seem to get the shaft <laughs> in so many ways when it comes to estrogen. But it is interesting how women's brains work and how they differ from men. I had heard that women can actually compartmentalize, and think of a number of different things all at the same time where men can't necessarily do that as well.
2: Yeah, I can attest to that. I work with 150 guys. There's Mm -hmm. only six women.
3: (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, that's, that's what I mean is we have built-in detours. We got them, you know, they're, they're like well-paved, well-lit, and much more easy to access. They're not like dirt roads that you have to figure out how to go on. So yeah, our 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 brains are much more flexible. Probably yeah. because evol- now I'm going into what's called evolutionary neuropsychology. Fascinating area. Mm-hmm. Now, we had to we had to track a lot of things all at once. We had all those kids running around. We were collecting all those nuts and berries. Um there was just a lot of simultaneous tracking that we needed to do while men really had to kind of focus on that deer or that buffalo so they they're thinking uh, the evolutionary pressures on them were to be more linear in their thinking and the mm-hmm. evolutionary pressures on women was to be more oh in the emotional state of everybody i mean just we had to have our antenna in all sorts of directions at sure. the same time and women are still doing that yeah hasn't mm-hmm. changed yeah when 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 families when couples work, you know, men might help more than they used to. But when they look at the hours spent doing housework and child care, women do two three times as much as men, even if they both hold full time jobs.
1: It really is true. Yeah, every man needs to maybe switch roles with his his partner. So he really has an appreciation, especially if you have little ones running around. Oh yeah,
3: that's a that's a good idea. I used to say when um when I had the little kids, I used to say I need a wife.
1: There you go. <laughs> I yeah. You know? Uh huh. Somebody who gets it.
3: Yeah. Somebody and somebody who does all this stuff that
1: you know to help me be a wife. You know. That's right. Yeah. So, what are some of the things that people can do to cope? Obviously, if they suspect that they may have ADD or ADHD, what route should they take? Are there natural ways that maybe they could alleviate some of their symptoms, some things that they could do, like you were saying, make lists, that sort of thing?
3: The list making and the using of a calendar and never relying on your memory or trying not to rely on memory is extraordinarily powerful Um, because otherwise it's all there up in your head using your limited amount of RAM. I mean, think of it as a computer. It's only got so much RAM. Mm-hmm. And if you use it to hold things, then you don't have leftover RAM to do things. So download, put it on lists, put it in planners, put it in calendars. Don't, don't try and remember in your head. Um, and, you know, the I mean, if you're asking for natural medication equivalents, we haven't found them yet. Okay. So I can't say do pine nuts or um, eat mushrooms or anything like that because there's lots of people claim omega threes maybe <laughs> lots of people claim that the ADD can be helped with all sorts of nutrients and supplements, but the science there is real shaky. Mm-hmm. And if there is an effect, it's what we call a very weak effect. Um, but the but the the psychological the meditation and the executive function support stuff is very powerful. Um, so I would encourage that. And then if you suspect you, you can start with your with your primary care provider, but most of them are not particularly knowledgeable. Ask them if they can refer you to a psychiatric uh, physician's assistant or a psychiatrist in the case of adults. Um, and in the case of children, Pediatrics try and pediatricians try, and they can do an okay job in an obvious case. But I, I it was my kid, I'd want to go to a child psychiatrist
1: sure. for, for
3: diagnosis and
1: dosing. Would you say getting organized, eliminating some of the chaos? Because it seems like in, in extreme oh, cases. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. 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 I, I totally didn't mention that. Thanks for reminding me. Keeping things simple, organizing your environment. Trying to work or be in places that aren't distracting it can be tremendously helpful. I once had a patient who, like, went to Harvard and had all sorts of, you know, high accomplishments and did all sorts of things. And I asked him, how should he go through such a demanding stay. He talked about streamlining his life. I mean, he, he had like very little in of furniture, and I mean, he, he streamlined to an extreme. But certainly organizing your world and your tasks and your environment is tremendously helpful.
1: Okay. Now, when you're saying write things down, should that be done on a spiral notebook versus on an electronic device? Does that help just the the motor skills involved to write and to remember?
3: Um, That's another interesting question. First of all, there is no definitive one way or the other to go. And second of all, many people with ADD actually have fine motor control problems. So many of them are not good writing things. Um, So they prefer to work in some electronic platform, Um, iPhone, tablet, computer, desktop, whatever. Mm -hmm. That said, other people really like the paper plan. I'm one of those. I, you know, I, even though you can't do recurring things easily on a paper planner, I can see a visual map of my life and my time and my obligations in the paper planner. Right. There's no right or wrong. It's really an individual fit. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I can say is you got to treat the planner that you use like a spouse. You got to marry it. You can get divorced later on once it dies and and it isn't working. But um, you really got to make a commitment, because if you try to write some things down and put other things in your planner, electronic planner, you you double book, you lose things, they get lost. So it's got to be one
1: or the other. Sure. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So essentially try to regain control of your life. That can help. And like you said, meditation, that makes total sense because you're creating some relaxation there. What if someone is manifesting almost what seems like manic depressive behavior where they're angry and are, are there things that they should avoid? Because it, it almost becomes a vicious cycle, doesn't it, in, in some cases?
3: Well, I think if somebody is having serious problems re- regulating their emotions, mm-hmm. they should see a mental health professional mm-hmm. and have it evaluated and treated. Why why try to do You know sort of if you're having a heart attack why you know ignore it It, it's big if you're having that kind of problem you, you want the help of a professional
0: stay tuned for more of women road warriors coming up
1: She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big on Amazon.com. Industry movement, Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry, our safety champions, the women of trucking, We're talking with nationally renowned expert on ADD in women, Dr. Jeanette Wasserstein, who's been explaining attention deficit disorder and ways women can bring it under control. Dr. Wasserstein, are the things like alcohol, um, a lot of people smoke pot today, is that something that they should avoid if they have ADD or ADHD? I'm just wondering if some of these things can aggravate.
3: Well, uh, grass is really bad for Young adults and teenagers in brain development. Mm-hmm. So, despite the fact that those are probably the people that are doing it the most, that should be avoided. In adults, all these things is a matter of um, amount. You know, social smoking and social drinking in moderation and what constitutes moderation is always the question. That's okay. Um, so, it's not like there's no differential applicability. In other words, ADDers as a group or these rules, whatever you do for a non ADD person regarding alcohol and and other recreational substances, I would apply. It's
1: not specific to ADD. Okay. Because it does seem sometimes with people with ADHD or ADD, they can almost be obsessive compulsive, can't they? To take things to an extreme?
3: Well, yeah, there's all sorts of variations. And actually those that have the OCD, the obsessive compulsive features, function better in the world because it helps them compensate for the underlying organizational challenges and attention challenges. Um, So I'm,
1: I'm not sure I get your question there, though. Does that relate to the liquor or the drugs? No, I was just wondering if somebody is obsessive if they would take it to an extreme, if they found that, say, alcohol or something like that makes them focus better, uh, calms them down, they'll just take it to an extreme. And then, of course, then they have another problem because they have an addiction.
3: Yeah, I ha- I haven't seen that where people okay. obsessiveness leads them to drink excessively or do anything like that. People who, you know, people do treat their emotional problems with one or the other. But I haven't seen... Um, I haven't seen OCD necessarily lead to more drinking. Actually, that's kind of I would say it's just not a usual path.
1: Okay, and people with ADD or ADHD aren't necessarily prone to addictive behavior.
3: Oh, yeah, they they are. Um, oh, they are.
1: Okay, that that's I think what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah,
3: they they definitely are, but just not the OCD subset, or not not more likely. Okay. Their OCD. okay. Yeah. No, as a group. ADDers are more like, because it's an impulse control problem. Okay. So, or for whatever reason, they as a group, they are more likely, much more likely to have substance abuse problems. But the interesting thing is when they follow children, those who were medicated versus those who were not medicated, the ones who were medicated are much less likely to do substance abuse. So, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so possibly they were med- the kids were self medicating, um, but uh, yeah, definitely 80 years as a group are more likely to have substance abuse problems, possibly in relation to their impulse control problems. But as a group, medication helps people be less likely to abuse substances.
1: Where do people find more information? Where do they find your book? called Adult Attention Deficit Disorder, Biological Mechanisms, and Life Outcomes.
3: Oh, my book at this point is, uh, you can get it on Amazon, but it it was one of the first books about adult ADD, but it came out in 2001, so it's like really dated. A more more current book, all of this you can get on Amazon, a more current book is, oh dear, a book that I wrote with Mary Solanto.
1: Yes, that book's called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Adult ADHD, targeting executive dysfunction. That sounds really interesting.
3: Okay, so that book is, is it does a nice summary of current thinking
1: of ADD. Um,
3: Solanto is the principal author, Mary Solanto. If you if you Google or put in Solanto or even my name, frankly, into into Amazon, you'll you'll, you'll find it. Those are two good books. But if you also another excellent resource is if you go to Chad, just Chad.org. It stands for Children and Adult with Attention Deficit Disorder. They have tons of resources that are free uh, that you can write then and there, you know, download and read.
1: So can people reach out to you as well?
3: Sure. Absolutely. They, probably the easiest thing would be if they dropped me an email. And then I can respond to their email, depends. And if it's a short thing, I could maybe just answer it on the email. If they want to talk to me at length, they can still reach out by email, leave their phone number, and then
1: we could coordinate something. Did you want to give that information so people can write that down? or?
3: Sure. It's my name, Jeanette, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E dot Wasserstein, my last name, W A S S E-R-S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. So Jeanette.Bosserstein
1: at gmail.com. Only one in. Terrific. This has been marvelous. You are a wealth of information, Dr. Bosserstein.
2: So informative.
1: I really appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at info at
1: Thank you for listening to another great interview on tncradio.live. And don't forget, be sure to subscribe to our podcast of Women Road Warriors. It's free. All of the material you hear on TNCRadio.Live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of TNCRadio.Live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at tncradio.live.